Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Breen, Peter from the Midwest, and Micah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to say a special happy anniversary shout out to Dr. Robin Bunce, who was supposed to record this tonight. And then reminded us uh, this morning that it was his not only his wedding anniversary, but that he was being quote whisked away yes. somewhere Ooh. by his by his beloved. So a very happy anniversary to you, Doctor Bunce. Indeed. Um, and our anniversary is in just over a week, and we're about to fly to Italy to go celebrate that. So that's pretty cool. That's yeah. awesome. And the Casual. parents' anniversary was yesterday. It was yesterday. Years. I saw that. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. So love is in the air. You know? It's a good. It's a good month. It is a good month. Mm-hmm. We are here tonight to discuss two very important characters within the Blade Runner universe, two very divisive characters, one probably more divisive for me than the others. Patrick's <laughs> laughing at me because he's like, I'm just waiting on Jamie to say something. Um, but we're here to t- discuss fucking Joy. I mean, Joy. <laughs> and he's Rachel. already starting. He's already starting. <laughs> Jamie's got his like sweatband on his head. He's like already crying. No, no, no. I mean, I'm building it up, but uh, it's going to be interesting. And it's been no, probably how long Rachel. has it's probably been three years since we've talked about Joy. You think? It's been three years since we've done a Joy episode, but it's also been exactly 20 minutes since we've teased another Joy episode. Because every time we record, we go, well, we're going to save this for when we talk about Joy. We'll, we'll save it for when we talk about Joy. Tonight, we're here to talk about Joy. And yes. it's probably going to be a so psyched. Four-parter. And Rachel. And Rachel. And Rachel. Well. Yeah, we should start with Rachel, I think, because she's a little bit, but a little bit easier to talk about. I feel, well, this is, I'm trying to think of like, because what we're doing is we're, much like the episode that we have about uh, David and Roy Batty, we were comparing these universes and why these, why essentially this technology was developed, why an android like David was developed, what was the need there, and then why Roy Batty was made in terms of, even though Roy Batty is more organic, very much, I mean, more human internally, but we don't fully know how internal they are in terms of like their organic components. We, there's hints of it, but we don't full, fully know if there's parts in them that are droid, even in their bone. Like, we don't know. We don't know. But so now we're here tonight to discuss perhaps uh, the world that Rachel was born into and why she was made by Tyrell, if she was an experiment. And then I think we're going to talk about Joy. And Joy is far more of a product in terms of she is marketed and mass produced or mass disseminated to the homes of probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people and why that's happening and who they are in that context. I think it's interesting to start off talking about the contrast between the worlds that Rachel was born into and that Joy was born into, um, where human beings were at the point when they thought Rachel, um, and I do believe that she is an experiment of Tyrell's um, as far as like the canon goes in the story. But I think it's really interesting the like stability, if you will, of 
2019's universe versus the stability of 2049 mm-hmm. and um the the like kind of different worlds that they were built in the different functions that they were made for and um yeah i think it's really cool to think about that like how special rachel actually was how she even when she meets deckard has not been like revealed in a big way to the world yet um she's just this unique being that was made and probably like the best one that was made at at least at that point in time. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. She was definitely, I mean, you you know, you know, the Latin phrase, Rava, Rava Avis, like the rare bird, Rachel epitomizes that she, she was the only Nexus seven, as far as we know. And not only was she the only Nexus Nexus seven, she was the only one in so many different ways, including ways that aren't revealed to us, of course, until 2049, namely the ability to reproduce, which was like a pretty freaking huge thing that was special about her. But in addition to that, she was open-ended. Her lifespan was open-ended. She was uh, specifically created with implanted memories of Tyrell's niece. And so she had a sense of identity and a sense of agency, whether or not it was real. She had a real sense of like an internal life to her. Um, And so she was grounded with like a moral compass and with memories to abide by and to act from, which was unique. Um, And then in addition to that, she also didn't know that she was a replicant, which was like probably other than her ability to reproduce the biggest difference with Rachel of all, because she lived her life assuming that she'd had all these decades of experience before that weren't real. So like, so she really exists in this completely liminal space between replicants and humans and Tyrell, because he was so wealthy and had this amazing status in society and could kind of get away with anything that he wanted, had the ability to create his unicorn, you know, had the ability to create like the, the perfect replicant, the, the one who wouldn't know what it really was. You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window, orange body, green legs, Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. But what's also interesting is that Deckard, of course, is sent to the Tyrell headquarters to interrogate a Nexus 6 to do a Voight-Conf on a Nexus 6 model. So he's not there to, to you know, interrogate Rachel necessarily, or when he realizes that he's going to be interrogating Rachel, he doesn't know for sure himself if she's a replicant or not. Um, and as the questions are going on, it takes forever to get to the point where he's able to say that she is. But what's so amazing is that once he realizes who she is, he also realizes that she doesn't know. And that's like a really big deal. So Rachel, I think, I agree with you, Jamie, is very different from Joy, obviously, in in some physical ways and things, but also Joy was specifically commodified, right? That's not to say that Kay's Joy was not unique because she was, because she was programmed specifically by Kay. She was his Joy, right? Mm -hmm. But she was a line of these digi companions, they were called, that you could get, right? There is no Rachel outside of the Rachel that we get in 2019. Even the facsimile of Rachel that we get in 2049 isn't the real thing. She's just called Rachel 2.0, right? But she's clearly not actually Rachel. 
Rachel was a world-breaking replicant. And that is really significant. Yeah, no, I I didn't expect to go here at all. So, Micah, thanks for sort of starting out this thread. Um, one thing I really enjoyed about just bringing this, listening to you guys talk here, is also just comparing both the worlds of 2019 uh, to 2049, and then also just sort of the times that the movies were made. Rachel seems a lot more, and Tyrell's development of her seems a lot more sort of Cold War it seems a lot more in secret and don't let anyone know what we're developing until it's out there. And in fact, if it's out there, don't let anyone know. Um, so I've never thought about that before. So Micah sort of planted that in there. And then also, you know, where Joy and maybe Jamie's problem uh, with Joy stems also from she's a little bit more of a product of our world as well, which is hype it up. I mean, if anything, she'd probably have previews. She'd have you know, the uh, if Neander was doing, if Wallace Corp had sort of, you know, Wall, you know, Neander Fest or the annual conference, she would have been unveiled and, you know, social media posts about how great she is. And everything about her is sold and presented where, again, Rachel was, a, I think, again, I've never even thought about this. So this is really fun. Um, Rachel seems a lot more like a like you guys have mentioned, a personal um project maybe uh you know i'd like to think some form of of love in the process by tyrell just sort of let's see what we can do here with the technology we have it doesn't seem like uh, micah pointed this out too that it didn't seem like maybe she was a necessity at the time it didn't you didn't have a need for a replicant that didn't need no it was a replicant you didn't have a need yet um at least apparently from the movie itself, there's nothing to inform us that they're trying to make replicants that can reproduce themselves. In fact, at that point, that'd be you, obviously that is in the movie that you would not want that. Um, in fact, you're trying to limit the amount uh, of replicants available. Um, where again, it seems like by a product of these times, Joy is much more of a let's make something, and it, it'd be great if she proliferated throughout society, became a, a, a everyday necessity um, to um, their existence, and I, I think that's a lot of ways, you know, what she was. And so, you know, Jamie, pick it up here. I mean, what do you think about that? Is that maybe part of your problem? Is just the way she's presented? versus the way Rachel's presented? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you have, again, and this is, these are discussions that Patrick and I and probably all of us have had, and when we relate things back to social media and the algorithms for social media, and it pushes things to you that you want to see, that you love, that you enjoy, Joy's doing that very same thing. Even when you first see her, she's changing outfits every second. What outfit looks better and what, what outfit he's gonna is he going to respond to more? She's very product-oriented. Um, even though she's tailored for him, her core, her um, mainframe is probably the same for everyone. So you have this base personality that you imprint on, and then she gets to know you over time. And as she gets to know you, she gets to know what you want to hear. She gets to know what she, uh, what you'd like to, what you want to do. She wants, you know, she's getting to know you, and then based on your responses she becomes that even more for you. So I think the joy situation, I mean, I think like with joy and the creation of joy, why is she created to make people feel less lonely, right? 
that's really why she exists or she exists as a product. Whereas with Rachel, it was an experiment. I think Rachel's far more barbaric in terms of the creation of her than Joy. At least Joy, they were honest with what she was. They were honest with what they were selling. Whereas with Rachel, it, they weren't making her to sell. They weren't making her to, they were just saying, well, what could this be? And then her world comes crashing down and you see it all over her face. Um, and she's been lied to her whole life. So I think Joy has it much easier. Well, yeah, I'll just, should, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to point out just really quick, Jamie, you touched on that too, just sort of the dress too. I mean, yeah, Joy someone who's constantly changing to the taste of the viewer, to the taste of the user. Or Rachel, I mean, she's not dressed for anyone, but really maybe what she believes would be herself. You know, she puts on the face of, of the corporation. She's dressed very nice, hair done immaculately. And that's not for anyone else i would say other than the image that she wants to reflect maybe of course yes tyrell um, but i think she really wants to put her best foot forward on behalf of the corporation she's proud of where she comes from and again that's for herself where joy seems at least by your description i think entirely built for the user so sorry about that mike i just wanted to jump in there no worries. Um, I think it's interesting um, to me what's coming to mind right now in our discussion is that both Joy and Rachel are, at least to me, tragic characters for points that we started talking about already. Like Rachel, how unfair and unjust is it that she, quote unquote, I'm doing, grows up thinking that she is a full-fledged human being, a person that was born of a woman and a man like making her like a, a normal homo sapien would be reproduced. And then that is ripped away from her in also a barbaric way. I agree, Jamie, she is, she is secret. She is, she is made just, I feel like almost um, Tyrell wanted to see how far he could go. Like how perfect could he make his creation with her? And then to, to have it revealed in that way, I, it, it, it's world ending. And we keep using that phrase world breaking. And that's what happens to Rachel in that movie. And that's her tragedy. Whereas for me with joy, and maybe this is just what I put in and take out from her. Like, I agree. She, she definitely, um, well, first of all, we only see one joy. We see Kay's joy. So I'm talking about Kay's joy here. And it would be really interesting to see besides the big sort of pink demonic joy, like what do other people's joys do and how are they, how do they interact with their um, users? But for me, Joy's tragedy is that she through Kay, and yes, it is through Kay because it's through his interactions with her. It's through his personal customizations that we see a little bit of when we see her menu um, we see the choices that he's made for her, like for her. Um, it's interesting to me that the tragedy of Kay's joy is that she like, despite being completely digital and not corporeal at all, she is wanting to be there physically with him so much that she like pulls strings and, and gets, of she basically uses an avatar to be with him and then she also like tries to affect um physicality on the world around her in that scene with the rain where she even takes the droplets and makes her visage as if she was being drenched in a rainstorm like that to me is absolutely beautiful that this 
joy, this, this program, this like near to me, human creation through K has this sort of personality that he facilitated in her. And yes, maybe she's the product of all of his wishes, but she also surprises him sometimes. And she also pokes at him sometimes and she disagrees with him sometimes. So she is that advanced that she has all of those things within her, those decisions that it seems it's funny because it's like, it seems like she's making these decisions and she's arguing with him, but she is again, a product of Kay's um, interactions and choices that he's made for her. But then again, who's to say that Rachel isn't in a similar way. She's the product of Tyrell. She was the memories I'm sure were handpicked by him and given to her and implanted into her to make her who she is. And especially before the big reveal, she's got such an, a robust personality that, I mean, as a new person, when I first saw Blade Runner, I was like, wow, she's, this character is amazing before I knew she was a replicant. It was like, as just a human, she would have been such a powerhouse, but she is in fact a replicant. And so her choices are also affected by men and other human beings around there, around her making choices. So I think that's a similarity um, in the tragedies of both of those characters. Mirror data makes a man. ANC and TNG. The alphabet of you. All from four symbols. I'm only two. Devil's advocate here. And I know I'm going to touch on a little bit Patrick's experience with social media and how much you don't like it. And you Yo, I fucking hate social media. <laughs> I, am, I am not ashamed to say it. And but you also know, like we were talking about social media being a tool for advertising, right? And you know that, well, you're seeing this because if you see more negative things, it's because you might be more negative or you know how they push things to you. You know why you're seeing what you're seeing, why people are responding the way they're responding. You know it fairly well as for someone who isn't doesn't partake in it very much anymore. Um, so I'm going to take that argument and I'm going to rest it on the shoulders of Joy, where Joy is this digital character. She has a... Um, an antenna or there's a you know there's all these networks that go back to wallace i'm sure so all of the information people are giving joy is probably being collated at the wallace corporation so they know more about you so they know more about what you like so they know how to make a better product of of um what you do when someone disagrees with you what you do when someone pushes back to make a better product maybe then joy becomes a little bit more subservient maybe then uh if the 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 user maybe he gets he or she depending on the you know the the client maybe they get off a little bit more on arguments and fighting and so they're going to argue and fight with them and that their that joy is going to argue and fight back because they know that's what they enjoy Excuse the pun. And so the more I dig into Joy, the more like a piece of corporate advertising she becomes. Much like social media, when we're on social media, what is it doing? It's finding out what do they like? Did they click on it? How long did they look at that picture? How long did it take them to scroll back? Okay, let's go. Um, Oh, they looked at a picture of a toad. Okay, so below it is going to be a picture of Kermit the Frog. Below that's going to be another picture of another amphibian. Uh, That's the algorithm of social media. What do you want? What do you want to see? And as we're giving you things more to see, we're also selling your information to our customers who are paying for this advertising spot. 
in this program. And I feel like Joy does the same thing in a way that's the most insidious because what is she doing? She's making us feel less lonely. So this thing that's making you feel less lonely is also selling your information to Wallace Corporation or delivering it back whether she knows it or not. I mean, if she, if Joy knew enough to tell Kay to break the antenna, Joy probably also knows what's going on. I mean, we, when she, when Kay is with the replicant women in the, in the food court, you know, you hear the thing go off the, um, Peter and the wolf or whatever. And so, you know, she's close. He knows that she's listening, but what is she listening for? What maybe her jealousy of him spending time with the replicant women who are pleasure models that cues her code in to say, okay, we need to reel him back in. We need to make sure that he knows that we love him and that he knows we think he's important. He doesn't need these real girls. He, because she's a very expensive piece of equipment. And if he loses interest in her, that's going to make her as a product less viable. So I feel like all of the, time and the effort that has gone into social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or IG or, or, or TikTok or whatever, the coding that's going on behind the scenes as to what we're really partaking in isn't, we couldn't even, we couldn't even talk about that in one episode in terms of our information being delivered to corporate clients. And I think Joy is doing the exact same thing and she's doing it in a way that's scary because she's making us feel like we're loved but she's disarming us to a point we made in the last episode. I, I have some, some things to push back on that for okay. before, before I do, I, I think that you, I'm not discounting what you're saying whatsoever. And I do, it is not lost on me that the only people I know who use Facebook are single. Like the only, I mean, I have 2000 <laughs> Facebook friends, literally I have a thousand, I mean, I've been on Facebook since two, September of 2004. That's how long I've had a fucking Facebook profile. Wow. Yeah. And the only people me. like all, all of my friends, no, no, none of my friends use it anymore other than single people. So there is something about social media making people feel less alone. But to that point, though, I'm on social media all the time. And most of my, I don't know, 1,300 friends, a lot of them are partnered or married and they're active every day. So I don't. But how old are they? 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah. yeah. To, to, to me, uh, so uh, I know retiree couples that are on it that's like the only if, if in my experience it really feels like for people in the kind of middle-aged or young adult area like nobody's using social media if if they're in a stable relationship that is a huge generalization that i'm not going to stand behind because i guarantee i'm forgetting about many people that are lovely and have great marriages and partnerships that are on social media so i apologize <laughs> for generalizing but in my in my kind of cursory experience what i find is the people who use social media the most are often people who talk to me about being lonely a lot. They're people who feel like they've not really had a great shot of things with love or they've you know been out of relationships. And social media is a way for them to stay connected to people, and which feels like a civic good to me. And again, I apologize to all the beautiful married people and partner people who are on social media who I'm offending by saying this, but beside the point. Um, there is something about social media and the web of interconnectedness that helps people to feel less alone, which I do think is a good thing. Now, I my bone to pick with your point, though, is that I think you're forgetting that the world of Blade Runner is not the actual universe that we inhabit 
here, right? In Blade Runner, there's no social media that we see any evidence of. There's no, um, you know, there's no internet that we see any evidence of. There's vid phones. There's information being transmitted on the police network, but people aren't on their smartphones. They're not doing handheld devices like that. So it's not like a targeted advertising social networky environment, as far as we're told. So I do think that if we want to look at Jay as a, a Jay, a, <laughs> Officer Jay, 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 if you want to look at Joy, if you want to look at Joy as a vector for social media, I think there's a worthwhile exercise in doing it about our universe, right? About how joy is a, is an instrument to look at how lonely we are and how we use social media to feel less alone. But in reality, what we're doing is giving more money for advertising and cookies to big corporations. But in the universe of Blade Runner, I don't think that's how she functions. I think in the universe of Blade Runner, she functions as basically WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. I think that joy is a thing that is sold to people to make them feel less it's lonely and that's kind of it i don't think she's like beaming all these cookies back to the network hub or anything just because well, i don't think, think it's that i don't think it's that literal for sure but at the same time joy's on the roof and she turns into a phone like come on like she's technology she's she is, totally, no, she is she is technology oh yeah and i don't and, think and she's I sending cookies back I, it might just be general information as to i mean but do we, we have this, any ev- there's no evidence of that but that doesn't mean it exists. Doesn't yeah, but exist. it doesn't mean it doesn't. You can't judge but, the movie for doing that. But no, but what I'm saying is we can't just assume that she's this just this innocuous product. Oh, yeah, we're just making it for just like you don't think that they're learning how to make a better version of joy and how to make a better version of joy. And how do you learn? You ask questions. How do you learn? You're monitored. She could have small print saying we do monitor these conversations. Sometimes we will monitor to find out how your interaction how are you enjoying our product well, yeah. i mean that that that's fundamental to a corporation releasing a product they just don't re- release it like oh hey whatever no they probably release joy 2.0s and joy 3.0s this yeah. is a new version of joy like so that information and I, I'm, I'm talking about rudimentary information how are they responding what are they saying what how is joy responding to them how's joy treating them how are they treating joy and that information's cold from all of the thousands of joys in the city or wherever. So that's what I'm talking about. I think that could totally be the case. I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I'm saying that the movie doesn't tell us that that's the case. If it is what's happening, then that that's fine. But I think it's also worth looking at Rachel through that lens too, because so Peter, for example, you brought up a great point about the way she's dressed, right? I don't think the way she's dressed is Rachel's volition about how she wants to be perceived. I think it's the way Tyrell's niece would have wanted to have dressed and that's that's how she's able to make her decisions because she's making her decisions based on this you know lived experience that she didn't actually get to live. And also to an earlier point that uh, a few of you made, you know, Rachel was a series of experiments, right? But those experiments were directly related to commodifiable things, right? Like Tyrell wasn't just doing this for art. Tyrell was doing this because if a if a replicant would be more stable, if it had implanted memories, then that would be more marketable, right? If a replicant had you know less, because uh, because the problem with Batty and the Nexus Six models that we see in the film is that they're emotionally toddlers, right? Like they're all over the place. They're wild. They're they're crazy uh, because they're 
babies, basically, you know, in th- in mentally. So Tyrell's trying to find a way to fix that. And in so doing, he's also trying to fix this other big problem that they have, which is that they have to keep building them. So what if they could help, you know, what if they could build them themselves, which then brings us 2049, where that's the same thing Wallace is working on, of course, right? Like, it's easy to forget in the span of all that's going on in, in this whole universe and the amount of conversations we have about it, that in 2049, Wallace's whole goal is to get replicants to be able to to breed, to be able to create more of themselves. So it's actually the same thing that we find out was actually what Tyrell was doing with Rachel too. And at the end of the day, it's supply and demand, right? If there's enough demand for replicants, but there's not enough supply to keep pace with it because manufacturing them is so cost prohibitive and expensive and hard to scale, then if they can create themselves, then it's a better return on investment proposition. So I just wanted to get that. I also wanted to point out, I'm actually taking notes tonight. Uh, I'll have you know on a uh, index card. So not to brag, but I, uh, I'm going to have some more more structured thoughts tonight. Um, Micah brought up a really interesting thing that I hadn't considered before, which is, you know, you said that that Joy is pulling the strings with Mariette. Maybe that's why she's called that. Because it sounds like Marionette. You know, she's she's basically a puppeted replicant, which is kind of interesting. She's um, She's an avatar, an avatar for Joy in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's she's the puppet strings. But again, you know, there, there are many puppet strings through most of the characters that we see. And I guess that brings me to how I'm going to kind of come out of this rambling comment, which is that to me, what's important about Joy is what she tells us about Kay. And I think that to me is part of why like, I still find emotional resonance with her because you're absolutely right. Peter and Micah, you both brought up how she cycles through all those personalities and she kind of goes through the presets of the 50s housewife and blah, blah, blah. And then she settles into kind of like who she really is for Kay, the one that he wants, right? And who she really is, is like not glamorous. I mean, she's obviously very beautiful, but like, but she's not like all done up and she's actually kind of wants to be more independent. And she reveals a lot of things about Kay and about the world that he wants to see. What's so cool about that is a world that I think Kay wants is a world where he has independence and he's not tethered to anything, where he's able to explore and to chase his dreams. And he's not just this LAPD officer being cordoned off in rooms and being barked at all the time. And so seeing Joy take that, I think part of why many of us love Joy isn't because it feels like we're being lied to. It's because it's she's revealing fundamental truths about replicants in 2049 and about Kay in particular and the kind of world that he finds himself trapped in and wanting to escape. I think you hit it on the head for what I, I connect with, with joy too. Like the part of why she is so beautiful to me is because he loved her and made her uh, like, he made her free, you know? And like you said, he made her into the person who would inhabit a world like you were describing Patrick, where he doesn't have to go and literally kill his own kind. And he doesn't have to um, make himself smaller and protect himself and and like avert his eyes on his way home. Like he could go outside and stand in the rain and not be afraid of who's behind him. And that's why his joy, Kay's joy is compelling to me because she is a reflection of his love. And in turn, he it, it feels to me in the world that they've built in 2049 that that Kay has put so much into this, this digital being that she is real. Like she, to me, comes off as a real full-fledged character because of what he put into her and because of the time 
that he gave her and that she she was able because of her programming, of course, but she's able to give that time back to him and she's able to be um, a sounding board for him. He takes her with him to do his sleuthing, just like the person he created is someone that he is able to work with and someone that makes him smile even after a terrible day. So like, wow, that is, I mean, it could be sinister. And I think we get to see that in the stories, tall pink demon joy thing. Like that is the reverse of Kay's joy, which is overly sexualized and obviously an advertisement to the most lascivious people. And like, just totally, I will say exactly what you want to hear just by me, right? She's the opposite of what Kay's joy is. And that's what is such a smack in the face in that moment on, on the bridge for him, which makes, it literally brings tears to my eyes because it's like he lost her, you know, and will never have his joy again, who has become so real for him. Um, so really, really good clarification with that statement, Patrick. I want to pass that it to tattoo. Peter before I respond. Okay, I, I might make it harder, but here, here we go. So, Mike, away you're, I'm gonna just try to piggyback that and try and hit just about everything that we've discussed at the same time, but hopefully in a a manner that mainly that the listeners can can follow. So I'm gonna try and hit everything here all, all at once, but in a uh, hopefully it, it you could everyone can follow. So yes, I, I think joy in what she does for Kay, and even more importantly, um, what Kay does for Joy, I think is a a big distinction between Deckard and and Rachel. And here's my thesis attempt at this. Um, well, just thinking about this as we're talking. Okay, so Kay. Um, if you go back, I don't know what episode it was, but whatever the K episode was, which was one of my first times really sort of being able to participate on the show, which was really fun and still. I think it's like 39, I want to yeah. say, something like that. Yeah, 30. So going back to that for a moment. So K and the flower that he finds, that's some German word for, for key, which then goes to the K, which then goes to him sort of being you know, something that unlocks things. And I think throughout the 2049, everyone that Kay has an interaction with, he somehow unlocks some new emotion, some new event. He does something to everyone that he touches throughout that story. He unlocks sort of Deckard's, uh, I think, desire to get out of his self-containment um, that he put himself in Las Vegas um, but most importantly, I think what he does for Joy, who I agree, prim- uh, I don't want to pick sides, but I'm, I'm going to lean towards Camp Jamie for a moment here. I do agree that probably the intent of Joy, it has to be um, something very much insidious. And if not insidious, at least what I like to think of pacification, it's it's to keep Someone like Kay, particularly, it'd be interesting to know if regular people can either afford her or that she's available to the general public. But I think she serves a very important purpose for uh, Blade Runners in that they keep them happy. Um, I just listened to your guys' episode um, about the Voight comp test, about the baseline test. Great episode. Everyone listened to it. Um, But 
you know, about keeping him in a little box. I mean, he's absolutely in a little box, but the only thing that makes that little box livable is that he can come home, like Micah said, to joy. Um, so it's it's definitely to keep them sort of to keep him baseline, to keep him happy, to keep him satisfied so he doesn't question what am I doing every day? Who cares? I mean, similar to any of us in a, you know, I'm also married and, you know, it's great, obviously, to come home to your family, to your wife. But I mean, what's the most common thing you're going to do? You're going to find some show to watch and, and, and enjoy that. And if, if you weren't doing that, if you didn't have your partner, perhaps you'd either go out. I don't know if it would always be to find someone else or to do anything like that. But it would be to go out into the world and out in the world, you have opportunities to find other people who maybe believe in something you do and you're going to get into trouble and cause problems and blah, blah, blah. And in 2049, I think the primary purpose of keeping the Blade Runners happy and in their place, especially the replicants, is so that they're not out getting into trouble. Jamie, the first time I thought about that regarding the other than the jealousy of joy is, yeah, yeah, look, we've got K out in the world. We've got him experiencing life. We've got him interacting with other replicants. No, 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 no. Get him back. Have that ring go off. Have Joy remind him what he's, who he loves or that he's committed and get him back home and get him to bed. He needs to get up early again, start doing his job. I think that's a big part to that. But again, I think a big part to Kay is that he unlocks um, the best in Joy and I think, it, I don't know if you'd think of it as a secret level in a video game or what it is, but I don't, where I, I think I stray from Camp Jamie and then go back to Pat Camp Patrick is that I don't think the average, I don't think anyone else other than Kay could unlock joy in the sense that he got her to a point to then push him back. I think like any um, loving relationship, um, your partner oftentimes pushes you to be better than either you think you are or you are. I mean, there's someone who will challenge you in a way um, that doesn't break you down, but that it makes you think, you know what? I can do that. I'm going to take that leap. I'm going to do it. I don't think anyone else's joy pushes their Joe in a way that joy pushes K. And I think that's only because of the relationship and the care that K shows to joy for her to be able to do it. So it's a very, you know, it, it, it's, it's a symbiotic circle to talk about, you know, going to Star Wars and, and Qui-Gon and uh, Obi-Wan. But, you know, without each other, they wouldn't have done what they did for each other. So I think that's a, a really big part to that. And then uh, um, sort of where I'll leave it on. And if, Jamie, you want to jump on this regarding racial or go back to the joy, whichever choice you want to go. But I think... Similarly, I don't think, and Patrick, I, I don't entirely agree with the fact that Rachel was a Tyrell answer to anything. I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and it probably is. But for some reason, I, I, I like to separate Tyrell from Neander. And although I enjoy Neander as a character much more, I see Tyrell as a little bit more be benevolent and that I really do think at least in my head canon think of Rachel as a, a labor of love of a, again, a, a sort or a little bit of the cold war, but more of here's recreating that maybe his niece, maybe just 
love lost, maybe something. I just like to think of him as sort of similar to what Neander tried to do to Deckard and that he tried to create someone that he could, I don't know if it was for Terrell to spend his life or just to show that I can bring this back. I can reclaim time. I can reclaim something, but I don't know. And maybe, you know, Patrick, you could touch on this back. And again, I'm sorry for creating so many different threads, but a big part is that, was it only Deckard and Neander touches on this too. It was it only Deckard that could then unlock Rachel. And you can take that normal. You can take that sexually. You can take that. However, but did it matter that it was Deckard? And part of me for that is why, why Deckard? He's, he's sort of, you know, he might be one of your most talented um, blade runners in several ways, but we don't really see that. He's kind of fumbling. He's kind of stumbling around. He's not sort of physically fit and capable like Kay is. Um, but does it matter that it was Deckard who unlocked Rachel? And in a lot of ways, Rachel who saved Deckard, uh, much like is it only Kay who could have unlocked Joy in this way? So, you know, if, if anyone wants to sort of comment on, on those relationships in the film and, and again, to the AI, I mean, I think it matters and how the people use and how that AI adapts to them. So I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's the big part. So number one, I posit to everyone that maybe what we feel about joy is us imbuing joy, much like Kay imbues her. Maybe Joy has agency because we give her agency. She has our agency. As humans, we are loved. We are special. Um, we are created by our parents. Um, hopefully, in the best of circumstances, we continue to feel that love. Um, I know all of you do from your, you know, parents or what you know, whatever dynamics are set up. But I think with Joy, I don't know if it's cut and dry with, in terms of her, who she might be. So much of her is predicated upon who who Kay is. So much of how we respond to her is because we believe that Kay feels this way without any evidence that he actually does. They're so quiet. Kay is so quiet and such an observer. We think that he loves her. He never says he loves her. Joy is so overly expressive. Maybe to counter K and maybe in terms of the baseline and that scene where they're in the market or where they're in the marketplace or whatever. And K is talking to Mariette and Mariette puts his hand on him. Joy can sense that right away. And if it, joy is there to keep K on his baseline, that's a red alert for her. She knows, okay, he can't go. He can't now want to see or want to spend time with her because that might take him off his baseline. I am here to keep him on his baseline. So what does she do? She amalgamates herself. Like, okay, you can experience Mariette and experience me at the same time. And the love scene, you know, after they've synced and, you know, they, he put, they put their, their hands behind his head and they pull him closer or he pulls them closer. They start kissing. What does it do next? Do you guys remember? Yeah, it cuts to the outside and there's an advertisement. Yes, it cuts yeah. to the billboard. Joy, she's everything you want to see. And she turns around staring at us. For me, that's like, what the fuck is really happening here? We don't know. We don't know if what he's, is, what he's experiencing is purely based on how she was created. We don't know that she's special. We want to believe that she's special. We want to believe that Kay's pulled the best out of her because that's who we are. We're, 
We want to believe the best in people. We want to, you know, but that's not the world they live in. They, they, you know, even Joshi says the world is divided by a wall. I don't, you know, she goes, you, you know, you, you break that wall, you started a war. Of course, I'm butchering that, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> you messed that line up so much. Yeah. Well, do you not remember? <laughs> yeah. You the remember world is was? built on a wall. The world is built on a wall. Yeah. So it separates kind, right? Yeah. And. If that is true, if what Joshi is saying is true, that means keeping everything together is a balancing act. So if they're going to have replicants on Earth, which now they do, that means things have to be perfectly balanced so these replicants don't find agency and fight back. So what does that mean? That means we need to supply them with digital creations of people to keep them baseline, to keep these worlds separate, to keep everything um, the way it should be kind of on the straight and narrow, but it's, it's testy. So I, I, I will passionately push back on the idea that, and again, this is just my opinion. All, all we are here is talking about our opinions. And I think to Patrick's point earlier, like obviously I'm single and I spend 24 seven on social media, mostly because I, these podcasts. So I do the social media for them. And then I, my job is social media. So that's what I do. Also to Patrick's point, without it, my life wouldn't be as full as it is. Point of fact, all of my best friends live in Massachusetts and Connecticut and then Oakland. Um, that's just the way things go. You know, at the same time though, like I engage in social media for its community because I don't really have a community and I don't want to, I've said this on, I've said that on the show before many times, a few years back. Um, so I think that there is some credence to what Patrick says, but I think there's also a danger in it too. Not so much in what you said, but there's a danger in letting yourself go on social media or, or getting, what is that danger? Number one, you could be hacked if you're, you know, if you're not careful, because um, there are agents out there looking to take over your purse, your profile, looking to get into your bank statements, looking for all that information um, that makes you, you in terms of your, uh, your economic status. It's very dangerous, but there's also the the corporate presence behind social media that is insidious. Point of fact. And we cannot say that Wallace is not an insidious corporation. The people who made Joy is an insidious corporation. Straight up. Lastly, I'll say, switching to Rachel, and this is kind of a question. If someone told you guys, we there's a droid that said, let's just say, Tesla made this droid and it doesn't know that it's a droid. Um, and it's been in operation for about three years and we'd like to introduce it to you and we'd like it to interact with your children. Would you feel safe with that? Would you feel okay with that? Probably not. If someone said to you, oh, there's this digital person on whatever, an iPad and it's this new program, whatever, and um, they interact with you and they learn from you and we want to set your kids up with talking to it. You would probably want to know a little bit about it, wouldn't you? Well, what is she? What is she asking them? What is she talking about, right? You want to know the details. Who created this? Where are the headquarters? Why do they want to talk to our kids? What do they want to talk to our kids about, right? All of these very important questions, those same questions we should be asking about, Joy. I always knew you were special. Maybe this is how. Can I say something really quick just to respond to Peter and to you, Jamie? I'm not going to push back on anything that you just said, because I think that that's valid. And I think that makes the world of Blade Runner even more interesting to view, to kind of put this sort of skeptical lens over Joy. And um, every time I've come onto this podcast and talked about Joy, I'm on the side of like, I guess, glass half full side for her. 
And so I feel now, and not that this has changed, but I think I want to express it more. Um, I think that both my view of her in a glass half full type deal and also your view of her and she's insidious. Those are both true in that world, I think. And I think the difference is this. I think, again, I go back to it and I might sound like stupid for saying it, but it's Kay's joy. The Kay's joy is the one that I emotionally resonate with. But do I think that the joy program on a whole could be very sinister? Yeah. And I think the points that you're making are really interesting and terrifying. And I can't wait to watch it again, thinking about that. Um, so I think I live kind of on both sides of the fence now, like where I'm going to emotionally resonate with Kay's joy, no matter what I've always done that since I first saw the movie, but now I'm going to be interested in watching the film, thinking about maybe Neander's effect and why and how and why he would use a program like joy. That being said, um, I'm going to go back a little bit to what Peter said he was talking about joy and you were also talking about Jamie joy being a way to kind of keep the replicants in line. Well, then I would posit to you. I, I don't think K is the one that's always perfect, right? That's what Joshi says. He's perfect. He is never off of his baseline. Constant K. Constant K. He has in my, from what I view this movie with, I think he's had joy for a long time to be able to make her so, um, I don't know, like adjusted to his settings. He must have had her for quite some time. So constant K doesn't need joy to keep him at his baseline. Does he? Or she's kept him at his baseline the whole time. Or, or maybe that, just or a that. part of it. Maybe not maybe. entirely. Maybe just a small part of it. Who knows? Maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll pause it to that or respond to that for a sec i think i think um i think k does need joy and this is this goes again i think what's so fun about joy and, and in the ai perspective of this episode i think what you guys always talk about you know again i, I first time you know grew up a, a listener to the show and now have come to to actually be able to talk on it and i think what i used to always yell at my phone uh, on long drives um or call in from the spinner oftentimes was a, a lot of these discussions on joy and i'm, I'm going to sort of throw up a softball to patrick um to hopefully carry and discuss a little more eloquently um but I, I think it goes to, well, one, I'll, I'll share a little, which is always a little hard. Um, I'm, I'm someone who I've never had Facebook off. You know, I, I use Instagram primarily for the skateboarding component that that industry has gone to that platform for a lot of ways for you to consume um, video and other things about skateboarding, um, things like that. Um, but otherwise, you know, social media has never been an interest um, for me, um, for a lot of the same reasons, Jamie has a lot of uh, mis or I, I think misgivings about how it, it operates. Um, I think rightfully so, but a big part of it, I think, um, Constant K again. One reason I identify with him is, is you know, my wife always reminds me that that Peter, um, although we're not really religious at all, but both grew up that way, um, is sort of a it's it, it's the rock. 
Um, she always reminds me that I'm sort of the rock. I try to keep the family um, calm and, and when we're stressed and, and try and do that. And I wouldn't be able to do that without her. Um, again, this is me putting a lot of on joy, which is why she's so amazing and also so dangerous as AI. Um, but I put a lot of myself into her. But to think that, you know, Kay couldn't be as constant as he is without joy. And again, joy couldn't be as free as she is without Kay. So I'm just reiterating my prior point, but I think a lot of it too. And, you know, I, what I want to toss up to Patrick, cause I just want to hear him talk about it more. Cause it's always fun to hear, but I think a lot of it too, and I don't want to put you and, and Mike on the spot at all either, but I'll relate it to myself and my wife too, is there's a lot that we don't have control over regarding who we fall in love with. I mean, you know, for whatever reason I chose my wife, Life and spouse to be my best friend and continue on and have children with. And it had nothing to do with, you know, I think she's going to be a, a, you know, a, a good sire for having children or, or a good, you know, genetic uh, match or whatever, but there's something there and I didn't have really control over it. And I think that's oftentimes what's scary about love and finding someone to that pushes you and all those right things too. So I think a lot of the insidious nature of joy is also just the natural way things are and just the insidious nature of, I don't know, being human and finding a partner. And we, I wish that we had more control or you knew what it was, but you know, a lot of what Jamie was talking about was would you put this thing in front of your children in a lot of ways, it's what we do with our spouses. I mean, we trust each other with our own children all the time. And we don't know if, you know, something could go crazy and your spouse runs away with your kids or, you know, that actually happens in real life. Um, You know, I'm sort of rambling on a thing, but I think what I, always enjoy hearing is Pat and what brings me always to the good and joy is both Micah and Patrick's discussion about how does it matter that this is a program because the way and what Kay believes and what he invests in it is similar to just the blind leap of faith um, to quote, you know, Spider-Verse is just, you don't know. And I think Kay doesn't know, and maybe he doesn't care that everything's being reported because what he found is something that keeps him going. So I don't know. I, I, I like that, you know, I'm, I'm where Micah is now, where it's sort of, I almost feel like I have to rewatch to find where I fall now on this discussion, but that's, what's so great about it. But anyways, so I, I'm just going to throw that back up is, you know, Patrick, why is it that you always go to that point? of whenever Jamie talks about the insidious nature, why is it always your responses? Does it matter that she's programmed to respond this way? Well, Peter, I feel like you gave me a lot of balls to hit on that one. So I'm going to try to get, and I also let it be known, do have a note card tonight. So I'm really staying on task well, with these, with these balls that are being thrown. Um, you know, I think that I, I, I first want to say that I similarly agree with everything that everybody has said tonight we often couch these joy conversations like they're a debate because there's debate-like elements to them. But I really think ultimately what it comes down to is the lens that you choose personally to view the movie through. And before I get to the whole, like why I have a deeply optimistic relationship with, with my interpretation of joy, et cetera. I do think it's so interesting that like the, the more I have moved away from social media, which, to me feels like something I never had a choice. I mean, 
I remember the first conversation I ever had about the Facebook. And I remember where I was. And I remember who was talking to me about it. It was Andrew Feldman and his friend at Harvard had it. And he was like, I think we're getting it like really soon. And then we got it like that weekend. And I remember being like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. And for four years, it really was amazing. Like for four years, Facebook was a fucking incredible invention because we were, it was only college students for one thing. And it was only like a network of certain schools. So we were all like in some geographic or academic proximity to each other. So it was like pretty even keeled. There was no newsfeed. There was nothing other than like a way to kind of connect and like see what your mutual hobbies are. And so you could like start groups. And those four years were so great. And then my whole jaded you know, journey with it really started in 2008 when it was open to everybody. And it just became flooded with all of this shit all of a sudden. And then there was the news feed and there was all this other stuff. And it just, it felt like it became this monstrosity. So like I very early on decided that I just didn't like specifically Facebook, other forms of social media. I'm not going to judge quite as harshly as I judge Facebook, the product itself. Um, but the more I become jaded with it and the ways in which it manipulates us, like for example, Jamie and I were having a conversation before we started recording where we were talking about our Facebook reach on um, perfect organism and how it feels like it's being throttled a little bit because it was really high and then it was low for no reason and now it's back up again. You know, and and we were talking about how it's it's purely just a function of Facebook wanting to incentivize you to spend more time looking at it to try to get your clicks back up again, just for no reason other than like, oh, this page is doing well. Let me knock it down a little bit. So they have to try hard to get it back up again, because ultimately that transitions into so many hundreds of thousands of hours of eyes on a screen. And the more time your eyes are on the screen, the more information you're giving to the system and also the more advertising you're getting. Like I, I view social media exclusively through that lens now. Everything other than like Reddit, I, I look at as only a tool for getting money and information. So like I'm beyond jaded. I fucking hate social media, but the more I hate it, the more I find I love Joy as we get her in 2049 because she feels to me like she flies in the face of that in a lot of ways. And I'll, and I'll get to why in a moment. I want to go back to something you were talking about, Jamie, which is really smart and really worth revisiting, which is the ways in which, you know, so for example, right after the love scene, quote unquote love scene, it goes out the window and we see a joy advertisement saying everything you want to see, everything you want to hear. I mean, a pessimistic reading of that would very clearly be like, oh, this is like almost, almost too on the nose. Like, I mean, because it's, it's almost funny, right? Like there's this really tender moment and then it's like, oh, it's actually a product, right? Like it's very overt. Likewise, after she dies and we're all heartbroken, he sees this monstrous sexualized version of her. And it's just like, and it's, she says, she even calls him Joe again. Right. And it's just this like incredibly heartbreaking moment because if you're viewing the movie pessimistically, you're viewing the movie as there was never any meaning there. And I have been lied to because I've been lying to myself. Just like Kay doesn't have any meaning. He's only working in this rubric where meaning has been sold to him in the form of joy, right? So if you look at the movie like that, then it feels very pessimistic. But those two sequences for me actually read the complete inverse of that because for me, it's juxtaposing how special his joy is from where she came from. Like she was started as this blank commodity that was sexualized and she became something so far from that, that was so human and so probing and curious and loving and tender. Like, so regardless of whether that's true or it's not true, 
what it does do is it produces a reasonable enough facsimile of the real thing for me to feel like that constitutes genuine love in the universe in which Blade Runner 2049 operates. Going back to what Peter was saying, like you're absolutely right. Falling in love. And I mean, we all know that Jamie's had a lot of long relationships as well. Like we all know what it's like to fall in love, right? It's never who you think it's going to be with. It's never the perfect circumstances. It's a series of like gradual realizations of like, oh my God, like I'm really laughing a lot with this person and like I'm attracted to them. Maybe like there's something there. And then before you know it, like the choice has already been made for you because you fall in love. Um, and I feel like with K and Joy, uh, it, there's a real sense of that to me, that the more actualized Joy becomes, whether or not that actualization is only for Kay's benefit or not, the more she becomes a real girl, the more he becomes a real boy. And that little conjoining to me is really important because it, it is happening in a world where reality is something to be avoided for replicants in particular. So going back to, to a couple of things, Jamie, you were mentioning earlier, um, to me, the reason why Joy talks so much is exactly what you were saying. It's to compensate for Kay's inability to talk so much, but I don't think she's doing it because he doesn't want to do it. I think she's doing it because he can't, because he wishes he could, but he is programmed, behaviorally inhibitedly programmed to not be able to express himself, to not be able to express wonderment at rain falling, to not be able to express how beautiful it is to take a ride over a trash mesa in a spinner and how majestic that experience could be. So because he's cut off from the ability to be honest emotionally with the world he inhabits, he has this avatar, real or not, that does express those things. So it's important to, to think about like this, this thing that's saying everything that he wants to hear and everything he wants to say isn't saying like, oh, look, I can fuck you real good, right? It's saying, let's take a ride together. Let's, let's go hold hands and just see what it's like to watch the sunrise. It's doing things that feel very traditionally romantic and not insidious to me because it feels anti-commodified. Whereas the ones that are very sexualized, another joy we see in the movie, of course, is in that food court. I don't know why I was called a food court. I know it's not, but you know, the marketplace with <laughs> there's not many food courts that have a sex uh, dungeon in the middle of them, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's that anime version of her too. That's like got the, the ponytails and the big skirt and she's doing the dance, right? Like she clearly is a commodity, right? And it's in a world where everything is a commodity. Everything is advertised, right? Everything is in your face all the time. And yet this one joy became quiet and became him and became full of wonder. Um, and so another way to look at it, you know, optimistically versus pessimistically, I guess you could say, you know, you're talking about in the food court, which I'm going to keep calling it a food court because I, I like that idea sequence. Um, you know, when the ringer goes off and Mariette touches him, you can look at that as big brother Wallace corporation or LAPD being like, Oh, he's off baseline. We have to keep tabs on him. Or you can look at it as like, she's jealous. I mean, I, the, the way that it reads to me as a film viewer, and I think to most people, probably I, I would assume the first time they see it is like, oh, she's his girlfriend and she's jealous. And not only is she jealous, but she's jealous because she doesn't have an actual body to interact with. And so like what just happened was heartbreaking in a way because he was touched by another woman and she, she will never be able to do that. So what does she do? She finds a way to sync together to be able to approximate that feeling like Pinocchio walking without strings behind his back, you know? Um, but I think a lot of the time it really just comes down to, uh, to that, you know, and I think also just to, to go back to one other thing, um, the, if, if we had seen Kay's joy 
being evil, that would be very different, right? If the joy that we see going, you look like a good Joe, or the joy that we see going, everything you want to see, everything you want to hear, if that were Kay's joy, if, for example, after a meaningful interaction, she turned her head to the camera and her eyes went black and she said something like that, right? I would feel very differently about her. If she was, if they showed her in the corner with her eyes rolled back and she's collating, you know, information or something like fucking ash and alien, that would be very different to me. We're not shown that, but what we are given is a lot of gray area to inject how we feel about this particular technology. And that gray space, that open space, for one thing, is why this conversation is never anything other than fascinating, but it's also why the movie is never anything other than fascinating because you can look at it as this crazy, pessimistic, nihilistic commodity, or you can look at it as the one that broke the system. Joshi does say the world is built on a wall, right? She does say that, but she's talking about replicants reproducing. That's what she's, that's what she's talking about, right? Like, and, and regardless of that, what we have in Joy is this beautiful window into like a what if, like what if he was never born in Nexus 9? What if he had a different life? And that in itself is a beautiful thing to me. She's not only escapism, but she's actualized escapism. Jamie's fucking smirking in the back. (laughs) I just, I don't see how that, we want to believe it's this beautiful thing. And for me, I don't, I'm not addressing joy as, for me, it's not a pessimistic view. I just feel like it's a realistic view. Um, The same way, Coca-Cola might take, I'd love the taste of Coca-Cola, but I don't drink it because I don't drink soda because it's, it ravishes your bones and your body. It's horrible for you, but it certainly tastes good and it feels good. And I love how I feel after I taste it. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not doing these bad things to your body. And I'm not saying, saying joy is doing bad things to K. Well, you but, are though. You, you no, are because if well, I'm about to, I'm, well, I'm about to, yeah, bring it back. Yeah. Well, I'm about to tell you. That. So I'm not saying Joy's doing bad things to Kay, but I'm I'm also don't know if, if even if you bring in the conversation of you not liking social media, but me finding community there, and you'd be like, why are you on there so much? I mean, you've said so, so similar things to me before. Like, are you still on social media a lot? Um, as someone who has a fuller life outside of it. And because you do, you can kind of look at it like, what do you get out of this? And I think I'm sort of doing that with Kay, knowing that technology isn't really going to save us. We are going to save us. And I think at the end of the day, I think Micah talked about this a couple of years back. It's really about what Kay feels, right? What does what is Joy doing for Kay? And I, I think the idea that, oh, she, she broke the mold, like, we don't know that. We want to believe that because we want to, our instincts is that everyone is special. Everything is special. But I don't think Joy is. I think Kay is. And Kay, Joy makes Kay feel special. You can turn Joy off and never see her again. And she just goes back into the, I mean, maybe her consciousness probably just goes back into the, well, it does. Because she says, if you break my antenna and I'm with you, if it gets destroyed, that's it. If she's near mainframe, with the antenna something happens her personality is saved in a cloud um so she's not gone that one moment after k discovers the the horse and he's sitting on the couch in his place and she's crying and she's like telling him like i i always told you you were special who doesn't want to hear that right who doesn't want to hear that you're special um now you're a real boy pushed into this world, loved, even the way she's saying that to me is insidious. Um, And then he's like, a real boy needs a real name. And she doesn't say like, 
Kelvin or Kenzo or Christian or or Christopher with a K or Khalid or Kyrie or Kareem. She says Joe. She gives him the name that demonic joy gives him. That same corporatized name. She does nothing, just Joe. That's the name she gives him, which to me clues me in that this thing is very corporatized and she's good at what she does. She's really good. She's so good at what she does. She's ensnared you, you Patrick, you Micah, and maybe a little bit of you. And certainly me too. Like, cause I want to like, and I, I, there is elements of her that I like, who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to show love? Who doesn't want to see, I mean, we can talk about dogs like Luna or, you know, my dog Mona and love them and hold them dear. And they, they're the beating hearts of our families. Oftentimes the love that we have for our pets, but we also are their owner. We also tell them where to go. We also curb their free will. They don't have free will. They can't do what they want to do. They do what you want them to do. So we love these dogs, but they are not autonomous. But yet we love them and we care for them. And we, you know, and I'm sure, and I know dogs are happy and, and but they're not autonomous beings. I, again, uh, posit the idea that Joy is not an autom- autom- autonomous being. She is a, a an arm of a corporation. And I think that's how... We, that's how I have to see her, um, because I think it's dangerous to be seduced by tech. Tech wants to seduce us, to disarm us. That's what tech's made for. Again, the worldview I'm speaking that from is very different from the worldview that you guys have. You guys can engage that more of a, oh, yeah, that's nice. Even as much as I spend time on social media, I know the dangers of social media. I think social media, for the most part, like, I don't have a news feed. I've, I've gotten rid of most everything that causes me alarm. Because I go on social media to just have fun and talk about movies. That's what, that's what I do. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm not looking at cute animal videos, then I'm not having a good time. Um, but I'm very aware of where I'm at. And I feel like with joy, we have to be very aware of who she is and who made her. Um, and I think to bring it back to Rachel, because I know we're spending a lot of time on joy, as we definitely should. What's also really insidious about Rachel more than her, because I don't think who she is is insidious. She was created by a man, given emotions by a man, given agency by a man, and then it was robbed from her. And Joy and, and Rachel share this lineage in terms of these things made by men narratives of women given you know given to these programs to placate men to seduce men and i feel like all of those things even if they're not all literal and they're not all working at the same time it's important to realize this when we engage them can you imagine if the dogs rise up if they (laughs) we've been subjugated too long (laughs) i I gotta say to me the love that we share with our pets is is and I think I know I know you agree with this, Jamie. Is is very special. Like that, oh that's a God. real that's real. I know you, you know what I'm talking yes. about. It's, it's oh, real yes. love, right? Yeah. Even though even though we do control them sometimes, you know. I mean, if there's Most food times. left out, Luna's gonna go for it. But you know what I mean. Even though by and large we do have control over them, like that that love is still is still real, right? Even though it's something that, you know, I mean, we all buy our dogs, even if we adopt them, we have to, you know, pay the agency for it. Um, you know, we choose the one we want most of the time we even tailor the way it's going to look, you know, whether that be getting the coat that we want or getting the haircut that we want it to get or blah, blah, blah. You know, we choose the model that we want to get usually. And that love, although it is, it, so I, I, I also don't want to bogart the conversation because I just spoke, but just, I think you bring up a really cool point, Jamie. 
the love that we have with our dogs is coded into the dogs because of selective breeding over hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands of years, right? The fact that dogs, Canis Canis, the actual species that a dog is, is essentially a wolf. It's just been so domesticated over such a long period of time that they have no choice for the most part, but to obey us. They have no choice but to love us, which is beautiful, but it also is kind of alarming when you think about it for too long. There's something similar there with Joy, I think, and with Rachel for that matter, right? But I think that that doesn't make the love un- unreal. It doesn't make the bond that we share with our animals untrue. And, and I think that like there is something similar to Kay's relationship with Joy in that regard. Hello, handsome. What a day, dude. You look lonely. I can fix that. You look like a good Joe. Now I'll, I'll I'll pick up for a second, and what jumped into my head, Jamie, was when you were talking about joy. And that you mentioned there's there's not a moment where where she just the actual K joy looks to us and turns and says, um, sort of eyes glow and she gives us the corporate byline. Unrelated but related to that is the fact that I think where I ultimately lie here would be I think joy was created for all the reasons that Jamie has proffered to us, but I think it's used in a manner by Kay for all the reasons that Patrick and Micah would love to believe in. And I think I ultimately believe in as well, but I think what sort of, for me thinking of Rachel is that, you know, Decker did deal with that in a sense he had um, in the ultimate act of cruelty um, and brilliance by Neander. um, He did in fact have to be face to face with Rachel again. And in a sort of a, you know, her eyes didn't glow, but they, according to Decker, weren't the right color. Um, and weren't perfect, but um, ultimately for me and my viewing experience, I mean, the gut kick um, of seeing Rachel again in that scene, especially in that first viewing um, in the theater that I saw the movie, um, I what brings me to the, I don't know, I don't want to say better, I don't want to say, di- it's just different, the, the AI, the creation of Rachel, I like to think of as more of a of a miracle to borrow language from 2049 um but more again i think that informs my choice of again that rachel is sort of a one-off um without any real purpose at the time although neander then uses her purpose uh, for his purpose um if any of that makes sense but i don't know for me it's the the visceral reaction of seeing rachel again is much more depressing gut-wrenching um, just has a more of a physical, it's hard for me. You, you're, I, you're, I'm taking shallower breaths during those scenes um, where when joy is uh, destroyed by love, um, oddly enough, um, that's a very 
sad scene. It's a very sort of, you, f- you feel real drop in your emotion, a, a sort of no, but then it doesn't really last a whole lot more after that scene. I don't, I don't think there's any more recalls to joy. There's not, he's not dying in that moment when he's, when the snow's coming down. I don't, I've never thought of him laying there thinking of joy or, Oh, I'll be with joy again, or just whatever you'd think that someone, you know, in a, 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 I don't even want to say more natural, but just someone in a relationship with someone, you know, would maybe, you know, I think a lot of our thoughts in those final moments would go to children, to loved ones. I don't know that Kay was sitting there. I've never thought of him on that staircase thinking of joy where I think um, any moment of Deckard's last wishes, I think they would always go to Rachel um so i don't know uh, this is sort of rambling but pat or jamie your your comment regarding at least he didn't see his joy turn to him and, and give the corporate line where to me I, I feel like decker did see that it wasn't her but for him to have love or to know that love was going to pull that trigger decker, decker knew it was going to happen the second he said that she wasn't there but i think he really experienced that loss all over again where for whatever reason, Kay's loss of joy doesn't give me that same manic, depressive, think about it for a week feeling. And maybe that's where the difference is. And and in a lot of ways, Jamie, maybe that's where, I don't know, my own psychosomatic uh, evaluation of you is is that I I think you have such a deep love for Rachel that I I think in a lot of ways, you don't want to see that in anyone else. Um, and that's how I feel sometimes too. I, I I don't experience the same loss and joy, nor do I want to. I want to reserve that for Rachel. So I don't know. That's sort of the first time. Again, this has been such a fun conversation because so many of these things I didn't have any plan to talk about. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's, you know, that scene with Rachel coming back from the dead is a lot more um, gut-wrenching than the, the breaking of Joy's uh, remote. I agree. I think that's really interesting that like the corporate line was almost delivered by Rachel 2.0 to Deckard and he had to experience the, um, the utter pain of seeing someone like that, who he knows is lost to, to come back right in front of him. And then to have her not like to know to his core, that it's not her. Um, for me in that scene, it was both heart wrenching, like you mentioned, Peter, and totally like floor out from underneath me, but also it, I felt in a really small way that it was a bit empowering for Deckard. Cause like, no, you know, you didn't get it right. You messed her eyes up. That's not her. You'll never get her right because she is the only one. And I thought that that was maybe um, a cool way to think about his inner emotional journey in that moment that like he kind of won again, even though it was such a like a tragic, painful moment for him. Um that he had to bear witness to something that looked mostly like his Rachel, but he wins again because it's not his Rachel and, um, and almost Rachel wins um, in her agency again, because they didn't get it right. They were not able to mass produce her. Um, And to go to the control part where, where Joy's little control stick is destroyed. I think that moment um, for me, and this is obviously the way I view it. It's for sure not as tragic as the Rachel moment at all, like by any means, but the quickness of it um, for me is powerful because it's like, wow, Kay can't even the the thing that's driving Kay and keeping him on baseline and keeping him happy to our knowledge 
is taken away from him in such an easy, quick step by love that that to me is like, oh, there's another kick to his face, you know, and he doesn't even have a moment for it to actually land before he is. It's like that moment of mourning is taken away from him, too. But then I think the real tragedy and the the echo of Joy's loss for me when I watch the film is when he sees the towering demonic Joy, who is not his Joy, but who still calls him Joe. For me, that almost that in and of itself almost makes me cry because it's like it's like he has shown somewhere in her programming Joe was there, and it kind of it kind of rips her away from him a little bit further in that moment when he's just being advertised to by the over-sexualized demonic joy. Like that's not his joy, but it, it, it's just this cruel shattered mirror version of him, of her, sorry. And um, I think that's where that loss is most keenly felt by Kay when he is called Joe by not his joy. Absolutely. I I think it's funny because for me, it's, it's exactly flipped, but I, I, I wrestle with both, you're in your viewing. And I, I think I've seen it that way many times where to me, um, Casey and joy in that form goes to, again, sort of Jamie's view where I, I to me, it's extremely sad and it, it is, it is also gut wrenching to the effect. But I think, I think to that effect to me, he has no other choice at that point. He, 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 is loss of joy. There can never be another joy, which is why maybe it's even more tragic. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, but uh, for some reason during this conversation that to me all of a sudden feels more like you've lost your saved game and to you, you just don't want to put in the effort to get there again. And maybe that's a lot of what people feel after loss of a loved one that I, I couldn't possibly invest that much of myself into someone again, where to the opposite for me for um Deckard losing Rachel is here is his chance. He can have her again, yet he chooses not to buy whether or not it's true that her eyes are a different color. I think he indicates or chooses to be, say that no, I want her to have only been that one. Where in a lot of ways, I think Kay is, he doesn't have the choice. He doesn't have a choice to have Joy again, where Deckard is always given the harder choice, at least to me, and sort of my love of why I still have a soft spot for, you know, some of of the themes in zombie movies, despite overplayed for many years is, you know, given that choice to have someone back again, what would you do? Kay doesn't have a choice. I think my ultimate take is that Kay at that point, at least to me, realizes, hmm, maybe this wasn't everything I thought. And now I'm going to, you know, for sake of the movie plot, push against this now. And he feels betrayed or for Deckard's loss of, of Rachel a second time is almost uh, insurmountable how much it would hurt to, to have that choice to be able to do it again, but choose not to. I love it. So yeah, this is fun. I guess as we kind of pull towards closing, um, just because this episode's running a little bit late, uh, I have three final thoughts that I want to leave with. First off is I have, since making my comment, thought of like three dozen happily married people that still use Facebook. So I do want to retract that statement. Um, I don't think that that was an accurate statement. 
I do think that there is something about social media and how it makes us feel less alone. That that is that is valid, but I do I do want to retract that. Um, my second one is that I do feel that there is a communion between Kay and Joy in his death because of the snow falling and specifically the fact that the snow falls on his hand and he looks at it, which I think visually recalls the scene where the rain falls on her hand and she looks at it. I think there's definitely supposed to be a, a visual cue there that there's a, a symmetry to it, whether he's like thinking, oh, I'm going to go be with Joy soon. I, I don't think that that's the case. I do think it's a moment of reverence and of like a reverie a little bit with, with her memory and with his life. But my third and final point is that I think Joy as a character is deliberately ephemeral because she only exists narratively to reveal things about Kay. That is, she she is there specifically as a device, if you want to take it from a film standpoint, she's a device to reveal things about the protagonist, right? He got this model that reflects everything that he wants to express in the world but can't. And so we get to see his inner life. As a storytelling device, that's really effective because you can get away with having a Nexus 9 who can't express himself, but is also constantly expressing himself through this other thing that he has em- literally emanated to be able to, to do that for him, right? She is the inner life that Kay has brought to life. Um, so I think when she is killed or when the emanator is broken, or when she gets turned off, the reason it doesn't register as a death is because I think we're kind of aware that she was never really real in the first place. It was really him. But what was real about her was what she said about him. And that to me feels very deeply loving and very deeply spiritual. I think it feels very beautiful. So when she is taken away, I think she's there with him. And I think that throughout the rest of the movie, you know, he is aware of that. Like when he meets up with the resistance movement and when he is saved and when he is pursued and when he's fighting in the Sepulveda wall and when he eventually dies, like he does all those things because he became the real boy that he wanted to be. And we knew that he wanted to be the real boy, not because he has said it to us because he would never be allowed to physically allowed to say that, but joy could. So joy was able to speak truths to his heart that I think he needed to express, but also needed to hear reflected back at himself. So is joy quote unquote real? No. Like whether you look at it as a piece of technology, like sure, she's not real. Like you, you, you can put your hand right through her. Right. But what is real about her, I think is what she reveals about Kay. And I think that that very much speaks to the way that we love people in our actual lives too. You know, I often think with Micah, like our lives together has produced this third person. I don't mean our kids because we have two of them. So I'm not talking about them, but I'm talking about this, almost this other person external to us. That is the combination of our lives and our loves, our aesthetic proclivities, the cultural things we're into, the sorts of things we get excited about. Like many of those things are things that I never gave two shits about before we were together. And before we found this new creation together, we're like our love sprouted all these amazing ideas and these amazing journeys and you know these incredible things that wouldn't exist had we not found each other you know i mean in a, in a very literal way like those wouldn't be there if we didn't have each other and so i think that like that's why when i look at, at joy I, I see i see that you know and i see also jamie the commodity of it i see also how the technology itself is ins- i think it is insidious i think you're absolutely right i think as a technology it is a way 
to, I mean, replicants aren't allowed to marry, right? They're not allowed to have actual relationships with anybody. So like they can either go to that sex dungeon in the food court or they can get, you know, a, a, an emanator device or they can get this, you know, this digi. Um, like I, I, I get that, like that, I agree. That is, that is insidious. But what comes out of that insidiousness to me still reads as something very pure and very, very important. Um, whether or not it's real, who's to say, but that's why we kill, still talk about it, you know? Shakes. Me too. I get them bad. <clears throat> Part of the business. I'm not in the business. business yeah it's always a very interesting conversation i mean i i i I love that we can come together after three years of not really having a full on blown discussion on joy or rachel for that matter i think our last rachel episode might have been also about two years ago and feel so fresh in this conversation and passionate um because they are bringing out some truths about us which i think to your point patrick is the point of them in some ways it's about what gives us agency what do we allow to give us agency um, many things can give us agency a book can speak to our agency a movie can speak to our agency as this movie is or these movies do but do those movies have agency on their own i don't know and i think that's the question i think we can answer that question with rachel more succinctly because rachel is a living breathing thing whereas joy is a is not she's I don't know what she is, as, a, a, apart from light. Um, but what is Joy telling us about ourselves? When we talk about these movies, we're always looking for the human experience. And we talked about this earlier. What makes us human? What makes us better humans? What makes us feel more? And I think Joy and Rachel and these conversations, and even contextualized within their world, make us better humans as we question their humanity. Um, and we're coming, all coming at it with different ideas, and we always will. And I think these two characters, more specifically Joy, because there's even the whole the whole Decorep conversation with, that we've never really had on this show before. I don't know if we ever have it because um, it's so tired. But the idea of if Deckard was a replicant or is a replicant, he made this child with another replicant. Well, who was he? Who made him? What algorithms were work? What what programming was work? He didn't know he was a replicant either. Also, very insidious beginnings for Deckard if he was in fact a replicant. So I am really thankful to be able to have these conversations with you guys and for them to feel so fresh and feel so uh, urgent because I think our humanity is always unfolding. We're always learning to be better. We're always learning how to be kinder, learning how to be better people, to be better friends, better partners, better parents. Um, and these discussions help in that journey. So, no, I, I I'll leave with I think you know Jamie where you just sort of led me, which is you know as a a digital listener, a digital viewer of you guys on these screens. I mean, I've never had any personal. I've never hugged you. I've never hugged Patrick or or Micah. I've never had any physical contact with you guys other than 
you know, these calls and these zoom calls, but you know, I love it. I, I consider you guys friends. And if, if this is all some insidious programming, just to get me to feel better about my life, you know, who gives a shit? I, I, it's, it's been great, you know, and so I'll just gush for a minute that, you know, a lot of what we're complaining about or the insidious nature of joy is a lot of what I experience with you guys. And I love every minute of it. So, you know, if, if this is all just, a you know, I don't know, a program and you guys are telling me everything I want to hear about Blade Runner, you know, or whether it's me um, and the experiences you've given um, and the ability to talk about these things and open up new views that I've not thought I've had about either life, family, or, you know, at its base or meaninglessness of just uh, some stupid movie. It's, it's great. So yeah, joy is important because she's a lot of what we experience every day with each other. So you know, it's fun. So this has been good. You know, I'll just leave you with, you know, via con Dios. Uh-huh. And, and just to, to add on to that, for all of the shitting on social media that I did tonight and that I do routinely on shows, these shows wouldn't exist as they are without social media. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have met you, Jamie, or you, Peter, without social media. The first message I ever sent to Micah was on Facebook, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like all of these these things work through us in ways that are more complex than I think we can ever capture in a two hour podcast episode. Um, and and there are things that I'm deeply grateful for with social media as well as deeply resentful of. So yeah, it's it's a crazy warped lens to to look at everything through, but it reveals a lot of things. But um, you know, something speaking of social media that uh, I'm very grateful for is our patrons. And I want to just, you know, before we close, make sure that that you all know how valued you are and how when we talk about, you know, this, this idea that like what exists outside of the screen and what exists outside of these conversations, like you should know we're thinking of you and our listeners in general, but like especially the patrons. When we're having these conversations, I'm like literally envisioning you all like in a room with us. And it's crazy because I've never met most of you. I mean, like I've, I'm some, some of you are personal friends of mine, but for the most part, like you're people who we have never actually interacted with outside of social media who just give us money for a free product to support this stuff and to support what we're doing with it. And I just want to say like, I'm just immensely grateful for that tonight as we're having this conversation about what's real and what's unreal. And I, and I want you to know that you are real to us and that you're here in these conversations. And so, um, you know, I'm not even going to give you a, where to go to support us on Patreon ad. Cause I just want to say a, <laughs> a message of gratitude um, about that and to let you know that you're real as far as we're concerned. And, um, and our listeners who don't support us are equally as real too. So thank you for, for all of you. And thank you for Jamie for being patient with my uh, ribbing you tonight a little bit. You can take the boxing gloves off. Um, and you know, we there's a lot of love as well as a lot of, um, you know, deep thinking on this podcast tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for coming on, Micah and Peter. Always great to have you. Micah, I know you're busy, but we need to have you on the show more. Yes, Thank definitely you. more. Thanks. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.